Lighting a candle is a simple yet profound act. It is a testimony to the power of light over darkness. So as we light this second candle of Advent this morning, we continue our journey to Christmas. If you remember last week, we remembered the longing of God's children as they watched in hope and anticipation for the coming of the Messiah. So this morning we celebrate his birth and a promise fulfilled by focusing on this candle of love. Love permeates every aspect of the Christmas story, Christ's story. Jesus came in love and demonstrated his love at his birth, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. At his death, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in his promise to return, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Christ left all and gave all to demonstrate his love for us, but he did not stop there. He asked us to follow his example and be the light of his love to the world around us. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Christmas time is a season when loving God and others seem seems just to come a little bit easier for us. But the real challenge is to continue showing that love when Christmas is over so that it fills our entire year. So don't lose heart. As you go through this next week, receive the incredible love Christ showed at his birth. Remember his promise that we will not walk this path alone and reflect the light of his love to those around you. Well, good morning. Hey, it's so great to see you here today. Thank you for being here. If you would, reach into your bulletin and grab your study guide out. And then also feel free to take a clipboard and a pen from the book rack in front of you. And today we come to part two of our study, The Candles of Advent. Last week we saw the hope that that first Christmas brought. And this week we see the love that that first Christmas brought. You, uh, you can look at the, uh, at the screen. You can see that uh, the candle of love. You may look on your study guide, and you'll see that the, the title, the actual title for our study today is Love, Exciting and New. Now, how many of you have a song right now in your head after hearing that? Okay, some of you. You had to be over 30 probably or else watched reruns. Love, exciting and new, come aboard, we're expecting you. How many of you ever thought that you would hear the love boat theme sang in church? And <laughs> probably none. And I'd imagine my job's kind of teetering right now. Uh, the love boat. 
Love, exciting and new. How many of you would ever thought that there would have been a connection between the love boat and uh, that first Christmas? Oh boy, yeah. And even though there's probably no connection between the love boat and the first Christmas, that first phrase of that song really connected with me. And, and I tell you why. We weren't able to watch the show. That started in 1977, and I, I read that it ended in 1986. And I lived at home during those years. The next year I got married. I could have watched it the next year, but I couldn't watch it during those other years. And, but I still knew the song. But the reason I think that those few words, the beginning of that song, connects so well with our discussion today is because I believe that's what most of us are really looking for. We're looking for love that's exciting, that's new. We're looking for something that's different than what we've grown accustomed to. And you think about it. What we know of love right now is that uh, it doesn't seem to work out all the time. What we know of love is that it brings heartache, it brings sorrow, it brings disappointment, it brings broken relationships. That's what we know about love. And, and we're looking for something that's much better than what we've had. Where do we find such love? I mean, where can we find a love that that literally makes a difference in marriages? Where can we find a love that makes a difference in families, a love that makes a difference in friendships, and in, in churches, in people between us and people outside the church, and even strangers, people that hate us? Is it possible to find a love that would positively impact each of those relationships. You know, the good news for us, and the great news for me, because now that I've gotten into that, I'd better have some positive answers here, right? And the great news is that there is a positive answer. There is a way to obtain that type of love, to have that type of love that will positively impact those relationships and will stand the test of time, will stand through the hurt, will stand through the sorrow, will stand through the, the pain and difficulties of life. It is possible to have that type of love. Now, I think in order to understand this, we have to begin with where we are. We have to begin with where our culture is, what, uh, what our culture teaches us about love. So the very first question, your first fill-in, a really good place to start here is, is how do we, people, humans on the earth, inhabitants of, of the world, how do we define the word love? Now, honestly, you may be in one of those places where, where you've been hurt recently. And you may be in a difficult spot to where you don't really think a whole lot about love right now. And so if you were to give us a definition, it might be quite negative. It might be quite negative. And actually, that's part of the problem with, with our view of love. is because our view of love is drastically changing. It, it, it moves. It, it fluctuates depending on what's going on. And 
It adjusts to the circumstances. But for others who maybe are in a little better position with their love life right now, they might say, okay, well, let's, let's just lay it out here. It's, it's a word. And I would say, oh, it's a word? That's not a very good definition. Well, it's an important word. I mean, I love you. That's an important word, right? Yeah, I guess it is, but does that really define love? It's, it's an important word. Then somebody else might say, well, okay, well, let's add something else to it. It's, it's feelings. You've got to add feelings in there, right? Feelings. You know, he looked into my eyes and, man, I just felt like I was going to melt. I got all these warm and fuzzy feelings and... Okay, so the definition of love then is warm and fuzzy, right? Okay, maybe not. Maybe we need to add something else to it. Okay, well, what about if we add the word uh, a touch? Okay, so it's a touch. Love is a touch. It's, it's that sweet caress. It's that gentle kiss. Oh, wouldn't this just make you throw up? You know... <laughs> Okay, so here we have this incredible definition of love. It's, it's a touch. And i got to tell you something. That doesn't do it. That doesn't feel the, the, the definition of love for me. I, I'm missing something. Okay, so you say, well, let's add one more thing. Let's add, it's an emotion. It's an emotion. Because I remember the first time that that he spoke to me, I just literally wanted to cry. And I just, I really did. I had a hard time breathing, and, and it's just, it's this emotional thing that's going on. And so then, have we described love? Actually, you know what we've described is infatuation. The problem with infatuation is that if it doesn't transform into something that's more permanent, like true love, if it doesn't become true love within a year's time, it's run its course, and most of the time it's going to end up in broken relationships. And so we've got to look for something better than that. I mean, that's the definition that we have in our world. We, we have this very vague, very, very false understanding of what love is. And so we go with it because that's what we know. That's what we've been taught. But if we want something that's better, if we want something that's literally going to make a positive impact, that's going to benefit our marriages and our families and our friendships, our relationships and even those who are strangers to us, those who would even despise and hate us, then we've got to look somewhere else. Got to look somewhere else for it. Now, it won't surprise you to find that you're in church and therefore the place we're going to look for the answer is in the Bible. And so then the second question, well, how does the Bible define love? What's a good working definition that we would locate in the Bible? Your next fill-in is there. How does the Bible define love? The good definition that I would like for you to write in down below that second point is simply this. Love is caring in action. 
C-A-R-I-N-G. I know my southern draw destroys that word. But love is caring in action. Caring in action. Now there's no greater place to find caring in action than to look at God, right? Because God not only demonstrates love, God not only shows love, presents love, represents love, but God is love. God is love. In other words, it initiated with Him before this thought entered into God's mind. It didn't exist. I don't know that there was ever a point in time when that happened. But God is love. So therefore, every bit of love emanates from God, flows from God. When we get into what real love is all about, it's a product of God. It's a working of God. You don't have to look very far in the Gospels to find the story that shows this so clearly. There in the manger. Can you imagine that? God, born in a manger. You know, it wasn't that he was just looking for a change of venues. It wasn't that he just wanted a different site. And so he said, you know what? I'll be born down among the cattle. <laughs> but there was a plan in place. A plan that so perfectly illustrates for us the real definition of love. Caring in action. And this plan is really a phenomenal thing because God looked at mankind and he realized according to Romans 3.23 that we have all sinned. We've all rebelled against God. We've all broken his commandments. The commandments, you are to have no other God before you. You are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. How many of us do that all the time? Man, I wish we could say we did. He says, don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't bear false witness, don't commit adultery. All of these things. And the problem is if we break one part of the law, we've broken it all. If we break every part or a little bit of it, it's still broken. We've still rebelled against God. We've still got a real problem because Romans 6.23 says the wages or the payment for my sin is death. Eternal separation from God in a place called the lake of fire. That's where I'm determined to be. And yet God in his incredible sacrificial love for me. Put himself... In a stable. So that 33 and a half years later, he could offer himself as a sacrifice for me. You see, death is required to pay the price of my sin. Eternal death for me. But God in his infinite plan said, I will make a way by which another will die in your place. But amazingly, the other was none other than God Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Caring in action. He cared so much that He went to work. 
He cared so much that he worked to benefit us. You see, one of the problems we have with this first type of love, this human type of love, is that it's very selfish in nature. It's what I heard. It's what I felt. It's what I understood. It was my emotions. But what God wants to show us is a different type of love. A love that says, it's not really about me. This is me caring for you. And because I care for you, my actions reveal that. It's love in action. Caring in action. Now, interestingly enough, God demonstrate this same type of love. God requires of us that we show forth this same love to other people. In fact, He takes this to the degree that He Himself showed us in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. When unconditionally Jesus Christ died for our sins, without condition. In other words, we didn't have to measure up. We didn't have to become such and such. We didn't have to become perfect. We didn't have to do so much good or so little bad in order to qualify for this sacrifice. Unconditionally, He died in our place. And Jesus then, before His death, tells us in Matthew 5.44... He said, I say to you, love your enemies. That's crazy, right? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. What? Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You think one of the disciples might have pulled him aside and said, Jesus... You know, we've decided we're going to follow you, but, you know, that's, that's kind of out there. That's a little bit over the moon, you know. We've got to talk about this thing. God was showing us such a remarkable type of love. And he was saying, now I want you to demonstrate that same love. And you say, well, how in the world can we do something like that? Man, it's hard enough for me to love my wife sometimes, much less somebody that hates me. You know what? Let's just be real for a little while. By the way, my wife's homesick, so I can talk like that. <laughs> The incredible part of this is that we are made in the image of God. And in the image of God, we therefore bear the characteristics of God. We have the ability to reflect the character of Almighty God, to reflect the love of Almighty God. Now there are qualifications, we'll talk about that in a second. But as a product, a creation of Almighty God... And as one who has been created in his image, then I have the ability to reflect that love within the guidelines that we'll discuss. 
But before we get there, I want to take us to a third question. And in fact, I'm probably, depending on where this goes in a few minutes, I'm probably going to take you to a fourth question that's not listed on your sheet. So please keep that out. But the third question is pretty simple. How do we, how do we know there's a difference here? How is there a difference in the love that we understand as humans and the love that God wants us to see as, as part of God's family, part of God's creation? Okay, so let's just, let's just walk through it here. So one side, we have a love that is selfish in nature. On the other side, this God-type love is a love that's based upon others. I mean, we see that very clearly. I, I just want to make sure you get this. We see it so clearly that God loved the world so much that he gave his son to die. So that we would not perish but inherit eternal life. That's the type of love that God's giving. And so we see the distinction here. One is selfish in nature. It's what do I get out of it? The other is very much others oriented. Okay. On one side we have a love that goes to the depths of what man can accomplish. But on the other side we have a love that goes to the depths of what God can accomplish. Oh, so once again, we see a huge distinction, don't we? From what man can accomplish, which is meaningless, it's trivial, to what God can accomplish, which is ultimate. So then, if this is the type of love, this God type love, that can truly impact our marriages, our families, our friends, our churches, strangers, enemies. Then here's the fourth question I wish you'd write in. And I may even throw in a fifth one, so just hang on. How do we get that kind of love? How do we get how do we how do we obtain that? Because it's not natural, right? What's natural is this human type of love we talked about. Best I can understand, there are two requirements to this love. Number one is that I be part of God's family. I'd be part of God's family. And how does that happen? I mean, you just don't wake up one morning and you say, well, I'm just going to be part of God's family, right? Being part of God's family, according to the book of Romans chapter 10, is when I understand my need of a Savior. I recognize my desperate condition that apart from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, I am doomed to spend eternity in the lake of fire. That's my existence for all eternity. Once I step from this life into the next, man, it's over. But that I also understand that Jesus died in my place and that God raised him back to life three days later, putting his stamp of approval upon the sacrifice, saying it is enough. It does qualify. 
Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a recognition of my sinfulness. There's an understanding that Jesus died in my place and God raised him to life. And there is communication that I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord, my Savior, and my boss. So then, I enter into the family of God through God's miraculous, incredible plan of love. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. But even then, it doesn't necessarily mean that the love of God is going to flow through me. That it's going to be evident in my life. In fact, I think that there's a great distinction that needs to be made here between one who submits themselves to God and one who refuses to. You see, I can refuse, even as a child of God, I've done this many times in my life, to my shame, don't, don't think I'm trying to put a badge on here or something, but I can reject God's plan for my life. I can refuse to follow God's will in my life. I can, I can live like I used to live. I can live a sinful life in my thoughts and in my actions. And when that happens, you can rest assured that the Spirit of God is grieved by what's taking place. The Spirit of God indwells every child of God at the moment of their salvation. At the moment of my salvation, the Spirit of God becomes part of me. And if the Spirit of God is grieved in my life, the Spirit of God is not going to work. Is that important? Absolutely that's important. And why is that such a big deal? Because the Spirit of God produces fruit in my life. And guess what the very first one named in the Word of God is? Love. So then if the Spirit of God is not working on my behalf, if I have grieved the Spirit with the way I act, with the way I refuse to submit to Almighty God, then I can expect that that love that I desire, that will bring a positive impact to my family, to my marriage, to those around me, is not going to be there because the Spirit of God is not going to be working in my life. But if on the other hand I submit to God, I say, God... I've done it my way all these years. It's not worked out very well. And now I'm submitting to you. I want your will in my life. I want you to lead me and I will follow you. If I'm willing to submit to God and, and give Him my life, then something amazing begins to happen. The Spirit of God begins to work to do in me what I cannot possibly do for myself. He produces the fruit of love in my life. That expands way beyond what I know currently. And he begins to work to bring about those positive effects that I so desire. So, then what do we do with this information? You know, in my way of thinking, as I look at this, I, I come to the place where I understand if you're not a child of God, then there's where you start. You say, Tom, I, I need that love. I, I have seen the failure of what I've ordained to be love, what I've uh, commented on was love before. 
And I've seen the failure. I've seen the hurt and the pain that it's brought me. Because it was truly filled with selfishness and pride. And now I desire something that's far greater. I desire something that I cannot add or contribute to on my own. That it has to be the working of God in my life. And so I want to begin by becoming part of the family of God. But I really don't understand what that means. Then here's what I want you to do with this information. In just a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand. Jason will come and he'll begin singing. And it just opens up a time of invitation where I'm inviting you to respond. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's what I'm asking you to do. Please, please listen. Get this down. If you want to know Jesus Christ as Savior, as soon as he starts singing, I'm inviting you just to come and meet me right here at the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out or call your name. But someone who's skilled in God's Word will show you from the Bible how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now. If you feel God calling you to Himself, you feel that struggle going on inside, then I invite you to respond and come and see me in just a couple of minutes. If on the other hand, you, you've been part of the family of God, but this submission issue is where you're really struggling. I just can't seem to turn it over to God. I want to do it my own way. I want to do it in, in the way that I think is best. And so I'm having trouble submitting to God. Then what I'm inviting you to do with this information is come as well. Maybe you'll stop by and see me and you say, Tom, I want someone to pray with me and I'll get someone with you. Or you just want to come and find a place and you say, I just want to talk to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. I know that sin. I've rebelled against you in submission. And so today I submit myself to you. And that's what I would ask you to do with this information. Now, I think there are others who maybe you need to respond in a different way. Maybe God's shown you that this is where He wants you to be part of our church. He wants you to be part of this family right here. And so this morning, you're going to come and meet me here at the front, and we'll start that process. Still others, maybe you've not been obedient to the matter of baptism, and so you're going to come this morning and say, I've got to get this straightened out. I want to get this process going. Others, maybe there's someone on your heart, someone that you, you know is lost, someone you maybe have hurt with your rendition of what love is, and you want to get that straightened out, and you want to pray that God will bless it. You know, there's something really special happens when we humble ourselves before God. God has told us very clearly, if you're prideful, I'm going to reject you, but if you humble yourselves, I will lift you up, I will exalt you. God has promised His working in our lives through humility. And so you might want to just come, find a spot, and say, God, I am sorry. Please work in my life, work in my situation. And if it can be done, would you restore what has been destroyed through my selfishness and pride? However, God's working in your heart. Today is the day to deal with these things. Would you do that?